and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. See what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? Abuelita, what are you doing here? Um, Alone. Doña, please. I was just getting a shine. I know your tricks, Mariachi. What did he say? To and you? welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the movie musical shakedown. I am your host, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor in chief of Onstage Blog at onstageblog.com. So thrilled you're joining us this week for our musical movie shakedown. And we've got a good one this week. I figured since you know Toy Story 4 was coming out this weekend that there was no better time really to dip into the Pixar well, so to speak, and do really the only movie musical that company has ever done, believe it or not. And that, of course, is Coco, the wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous film based entirely in Mexican culture with a practically all-Mexican cast. Uh, just an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous film. And, uh, you know, it is, it is one of the most successful Pixar films of all time. Interesting enough, I found out that it was the first nine-digit budget movie with an all-Mexican cast, which I thought was incredible. But, um, you know, I, I love what this movie stands for. I love the themes that are in this movie, and we're going to explore all of that. We're going to talk about its music, its culture, its food, its slangs, uh, everything about this film. And I've got a great guest with this with me this week. Her name is Melody Nicolette, who fans of this podcast will recognize from our Pocahontas podcast that we did um, a couple months ago. So she's going to come back, and she's got some great insight into Mexican culture because you know that's that's her lineage. So um, really excited to to be able to talk to her about the individual little things that you know uh, perhaps those of us who don't know so much about Mexican culture uh, did not catch in the in the movie, so to speak. So uh, really excited to talk to her. So when we come back. We're going to be joined by Melody, but first, of course, as always, here's the trailer. Every year, grandkids, cousins, pretty much everyone gets together, even great-grandma Coco. And the winner is... Luchadora Coco! I tell her pretty much everything. I used to run like this, but now I run like this, it's just way faster. Life sounds like... Miguel, eat your food. Here, have some more. No, gracias. I mean, see? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Dia de los Muertos has begun. It's the one night of the year our ancestors can come visit us. I thought it might have been one of those made-up things. I was just... Tonight is about family. I am not like the rest of my family. There's something that makes me different. Great, great grandfather, I want to be a musician just like you. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. <gasps> Welcome to the land of your ancestors. <laughs> Miguel? We're your family. You're skeletons. You're alive. <laughs> You've got to get home before sunrise or you'll be stuck here <laughs> forever. <laughs> Security. Hurry, come on. 
It's showtime. You, my boy, are meant to be a musician. I must follow my heart. I am trying to save your life. Nice kitty. Miguel, something's mattered more than music. <gasps> Sorry. We may have our differences, but nothing's more important than family. <laughs> I'm proud we're family! Go away, you! Go! It's just Dante. Never name a street dog. They'll follow you forever. Now, go get my shoe. And we're back, and I am now joined with my good friend, onstage blog contributor, artist, performer, extraordinaire, Miss Melody oh. Nicolette. How are you? I'm okay now that the computer's finally working. Now that our technology is synced and we're doing pretty well, really glad to have you back. Uh, you Thank were you. on our Pocahontas podcast which got a lot of attention by the way a lot of oh no <laughs> i know like a lot of great response people really dug it um i actually heard from people that were involved in the film which i thought was pretty cool um so yeah like they that, that one definitely made the rounds so um it was a no-brainer to have you back for this one which is a movie that first of all i want to talk about a couple of significant things about this episode because first of all we're doing coco this week and we're dipping back into that that disney treasure trove uh, into you know Mexican culture, really the first Disney movie to sincerely dip into, you know, uh, Mexican culture. They I did not... a little bit in Three Caballeros. I was gonna uh, cautious to bring up Three Caballeros because I didn't know if is it is it a true like authentic like you know sincere or is it like you know what what agency um, <laughs> sometimes well, when... with Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, what it, they were designed as goodwill films oh. because like communism and like the Nazis were kind of flirting with Latin America and they did have some incursions in like Argentina, which are still there, which we will not talk about. Mm. Um, so Walt Disney was asked by the government to make these goodwill films and like, so they went down to Brazil and Mexico and other Latin American countries and you know, they were goodwill ambassadors and they did a lot of research. Now those movies are not perfect, but the guy who played Panchito Pistoles, he was played by Joaquin Garay, who was like a Mexican star. Like he was a star in San Francisco. He had his own cabaret show in San Francisco. Like there's a lot of problems with the film, especially when they're in Brazil and like all the white people are doing black folk dances and stuff but generally mm -hmm. speaking like it could for 1940s like to hire actual brazilian and mexican actors and stuff and to like depict it the way that they did and when they talk about like the history of the mexican flag like it could be worse i'm just it could be speedy gonzalez like yes so they actually yeah. and i i love i love walking Gare. like he's like you know a mexican icon he was super good looking and his voice is obviously beautiful so yeah, it, it could be worse. It's not perfect, but it's pretty damn good for the late 40s. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let me ask you, first of all, when we talk about the significance of, of why I wanted you on this podcast, first of all, can you let the audience know a little bit about your background? So to Yes. Speak? So yeah, in the Pocahontas episode, we talked about like my paternal line, which is Eastern First Nations Abenaki. But my mom, her father is indigenous Mexican. He was Nahual. And his 
he was born in Tacubaya in um, Mexico City. DFA! Um, and then he grew up in Puebla, which is where the um, Cinco de Mayo battle actually happened. So we're, my family's from the one part of Mexico that actually like legitimately celebrates and goes hog wild for Cinco de Mayo. So, wow. um, very cool. Very yeah. cool. And you know, this is episode number 26 for 27, 27. Oh my gosh. Getting my numbers mixed up. <laughs> I've, done, I've done so many of these. Oh my gosh. Um, so this is episode number 27 and you told me that you wanted Coco to be episode 27. And actually, ironically, it was, it, you know, significantly fell on this naturally. I didn't have to really move anything around for that to happen. So tell me about the importance of the number 27. Well, 27 to me is a sacred number. It also is my grandpa's birthday because he was July 27th, 1921. And 27 just comes up a lot in my life. It's It actually had like, if you study numerology, it has, like, symbolism and stuff. But for me, it's my grandpa's birthday. It's also my friend Jermaine's birthday, so... Hey, Jermaine. Hey, Jermaine. All right. Well, I think that's an important thing to mention because, you know, the central theme of this movie is how important family is and and remembering them and, and talking about them. So, yeah, these numbers that are significant for, you know, past family members, that's that's that goes right, you know, hand in hand with this movie, so to speak. So, Melody, my first question for you is when you heard that Pixar was doing a movie based in you know, Mexican culture. I mean, what were your initial reactions to hearing that kind of news? Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> because the first introduction to Coco for like the news was it was all over like the Latin like news stations and stuff and like the internet blogs was that they were trying to copyright Dia de Muertos and Dia de los Muertos. And we were like, Really? And then Disney kind of backed off from that right, immediately. Right. And we're like, we were all really skeptical. Like, I was really skeptical. I'd never, I didn't see Book of Life because it just, I don't know. It it seemed dumb and, like, not respectful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, like, it was a romance and stuff. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> right. But I know yeah. that Book of Life is not Disney and, like, or Pixar. So. Right. So no, I, I avoided yeah, I, I, for me, it's like, you know, as, a, as an Asian American, you know, when I hear that, you know, Disney or, you know, a lot, some of these other companies are going to do um, something based in Asian culture, I'm always like very weary of that, of like, okay, well, let's see who is doing it. Let's see who is writing this, who is directing it. Um, and, you know, because I'm a little nervous that, well, you know, I'm sure it's well-intentioned, uh, you know, sometimes we we don't get the the, the most accurate or or sensitive or uh, authentic uh, depictions on screen. But let me ask you this: When you finally got to see the movie, what what was your initial reaction? What what were some things that just like screamed at you uh, when you saw this movie for the first time? Um, so I did not see it in theaters, and I did avoid it. But one of the other reasons too is because Dia de Muertos is a traditional like aztec holiday and it's an indigenous holiday and it the fact that it survived spanish colonization is a miracle of god like let's just be real here the fact that it's it it we still have it is amazing mm. and i know like right now like people are treating it like mexican halloween and it's so much more 
than the Mexican version of like the gross, disgusting Americanization of Halloween. I love Halloween. Halloween's my favorite holiday in my whole life. But like, let's be honest here. Like, it's become another Christmas, and you know, leave leave our holidays alone. So I I did avoid it, but then I watched it with my little cousins because they're like, we want to watch Coco, and I said, fine. Um, I was so blown away by how well done it was Mm. and like there were some parts where i was like freaking out i'm like did somebody make a collect call to heaven because that's my great aunt (laughs) or (laughs) or, yeah i was like i'm a little unnerved by by this um so i know we have the dusty rooms moment like segment of this podcast i legitimately wept the entire film the first time i saw it and the kids (laughs) so dusty room moments is the entire film for you (laughs) literally and like in the beginning of the film like when it opens up with the papel picado telling the story of like like mommy imelda and like you know hector going away Mm -hmm. like even though it's computer generated like it looks like someone did it by hand using like a chisel and a rock like you could tell like even though it's a cartoon it looks like somebody made this by hand and it was not one of the factory papel picado or the one of the plastic ones instantly i burst into tears and the kids were like aren't you gonna do this the whole time i was like yes (laughs) well you know what i loved was you know i i have a, a a bunch of uh, work colleagues and friends that that are of Mexican descent, and you know when they told me that when they went to go see this movie, it was like they were hearing actual conversations that you know were around their dinner tables and oh, yeah. the, the behaviors and the slangs. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but like <laughs> you know, it was like oh my god, like they 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 nailed it. And yeah, um, you know what one of the best videos you know, on YouTube that you can look up is, you know, just watching uh, Mexicans react to Coco. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's very uh, sentimental. It's very emotional because you, you're you seeing your culture uh, alive on screen. And, 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 you know, for me as an Asian American, uh, you know, when I saw, you know, things like, you know, crazy rich Asians or fresh off the boat and things like that, uh, that I could recognize at least that I, I can, I can share that feeling, so to speak, uh, in a way. So awesome. It's, it, I think it was amazing. Um, and so let's talk about that real quick. I mean, what were some of the things, Melody, that you saw that, that they, that the intricacies, the slang, you know, the food, anything that you're like, I, they nailed that. And it's unbelievable that they nailed that. Um, like one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is like you know when abuelita's like no music and like they're like they're like there's that group of the barachos that are like la 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 and they're like drunk and like (laughs) you know they're they're coming home and they're singing and she like comes out and like blows up at them and they scatter like cucarachas i was dying i'm like oh my god this is tia loli like oh (laughs) um even like the shirts and stuff with like the indigenous Oaxaca um, patterns that really struck me like emotionally because, you know, my great aunts had them. My great grandma had them like we had them made for us growing up. That was really special. Um, just the fact that the ofrenda is as busy as it is, because I don't know if um, a lot of our readers know a lot about mexican and latin culture like our stuff is really busy like Mm. we have stuff everywhere like chucheria like 
we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the ofrenda looks so good. I mean, it looks like a real one. And also, um, a lot of families, like, they leave the ofrenda up all year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, we'll have, like, a corner of our house that's, like, literally, like, a giant ofrenda. Like, there's a part of my, like, desk in my day job that is an ofrenda. Like, it's just how we are. And knowing who these people are... And, like, knowing their pictures and knowing their name and knowing their history, knowing everything about them, even though you may have never met them or they passed away before you 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 came into this world, like, is very important. And the fact that, like, Miguel knows, like, all of the family members and all of their names and stuff, like, is is so accurate. It's frightening. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. You know, seeing it in the theater, I, I saw it in New York City, which... Again, for a movie like this, that's like the best city to, you know, see it in maybe short of like Mexico City. Uh, because, you know, obviously the, the the theater was packed with people, you know, Mexican people. And um, what was amazing was hearing them react to different things and different, you know, um, props or, you know, colors or lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because what, what I love is how much how much, you know, Spanish is actually in this movie. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's a great thing. So they were laughing at things that I'm like, I, I don't, I don't speak Spanish, unfortunately. <laughs> so I had no idea what they were laughing at, but it was very cool to see them react that way, which is really awesome. Yeah. Like I was actually like, cause I watched it, I've seen it in English and I've seen it in Spanish because I think the vast majority of the cast reprise their roles in the Spanish language version and just like the wittiness of the dialogue and, and how funny the stuff is and how it's not nothing is pandering to a non-latin audience but it can be enjoyed Mm. by non-latin people and i that's what i liked about it it's not like leading you into something like you know you're watching sesame street or like pbs or something it's like you're like dying the wool deep in this thing and if you don't know what you're looking at you can still appreciate it love it love it um the movie went on to win Two Academy Awards, first obviously for Best Animated Feature, and then the second for Best Song, actually, that year for Remember Me, which we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit later um, oh, when, yes. when we get into the music itself, but um, two really awesome achievements for Pixar. And, and I really, this is one of my more favorite uh, Pixar film. I think it just, everything feels very genuine and respectful um, of the culture, uh, which is what you want, which is what you want. So, all right, well, let's get, let's move on to some of our categories. The first being when you, we kind of touched on it earlier, dusty room moments, folks, we know sometimes <laughs> these movie musicals, they, you know, they make us, uh, remember things the, some things might cause lumps and throats to get a little bit bigger. Eyes might get watery. So I call these dusty room moments. Now, Melody, you said the first time seeing this, basically the entire movie was a, a dusty room moment for you, oh but my God. I mean, any specific things that, that, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to probably point to the end, but I mean, for you, like, what were some of the things that, man, like, I can't even talk about this movie without like getting emotional. Um, but like Latinx people are just emotional. Like, this is how we are. Um, we have what I like to call Central American meltdowns. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, um, yeah, literally the first time I, I mean, and I cry pretty generously throughout the film, even like on multiple viewings, like it, it's like Dumbo, like you never, <laughs> you're never, 
never ready for it. Um, definitely, like, just how much love and care was put into it. Like, recognizing people that I knew, like, in my life that I loved. Um, or, like, there was, like, so one of the one of the grandpas, so Abuelita's husband, who, like, mm-hmm. doesn't have any lines, but he just exists. Even Like, he is the exact shade of, like, Doc Moreno that, like, my grandpa was. And the first time, and, like, every time he's on screen, I'm literally a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Awesome. Yeah, it was interesting. I had another, um, you know, friend of mine told me that when she got very emotional when you saw the food. Yeah! Oh, my God! Yeah, yeah. Touch, on, touch on the food. Like how like how how accurate did they nail that? Um so it's inc- like the food looks like you could just pick it off the screen and eat it. Like mm. it's perfect. Um there's even like one scene, I forget what part of the film it is, but there's tamales and like the way that the tamales are shaded, like you can't tell if it's corn husks or banana leaves. I'm like you sneaky bastards like <laughs> because <laughs> awesome. in, in Oaxaca like you can go because it can go either way you because the closer you get to like El Salvador even though El Salvador uses corn like the, the closer you get to like set more deep into Central America they use more banana leaves and up towards the top they use like corn and stuff but Oaxaca and, and like you know Pueblo are like right in the middle where like you could have either way the conches look really good too like the, the pan dulce mm-hmm. Excuse me, it looks amazing yeah, no, it just it th- this entire movie is gorgeous, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But like, you know, it it for me, I think its themes of family are universal. So you know, you know, every culture can can understand treasuring and valuing family and remembering family and things like that. So when you hear them talk about their their past relatives and and uh. It, with such reverence and remembrance. I mean, I got very emotional at that because it made me start thinking about my own grandparents who are no longer here um, and, and and remembering those traditions and things like that. So that just the, that overall sense definitely made, you know, the, uh, the room a little misty for me. And then of course, anytime like remember me, you know, is, is <laughs> sung in the film. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm gone. I'm like, I'm like bawling my eyes out. So, um, <laughs> This movie just it got it, it just like a lot of Pixar films, it gets you at a very personal and uh, level, and uh, you know that's they they just they're geniuses at that. They just know how people tick sometimes, and uh, yeah. Any other any other specific yeesh moments or not, I'm sorry, not yeesh moments. Uh, any other um, tear jerker, dusty room moments for you? Um. Honestly, like the film is filled with so many of them. Like it's it's just hard to pick. Like and it's it's not stuff that's like the end will get you, but so much of this film is like like precious. Like it hits on like really really precious like pressure points and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like it just it really it's a very emotional sophisticated emotionally sophisticated film and for somebody who like loves their Mexican heritage, like me, somebody who's like really nostalgic in that era of like, you know, Mexican culture, like the forties or whatever. Like it's, it's, it really, it, it just like, it's a home run. Like the whole film is just like this ugly cry. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. 
All right, moving on. So, folks, we know that sometimes with these movies, um, some things don't age as well as others. Some things are well, well intentioned, uh, might not strike the right chord. So, I call these yeesh moments where, um, you know, it's just something that just, oh, God, I wish they didn't do that. Or uh, maybe that's just not a, hasn't aged as well as other things through a 2019 lens, so to speak. But, um, Melody, I want to ask you any yeesh moments for you in this Um,. Movie? I'm going to have you go first because okay. I have a lot of feelings and I, I know that yours are going to be more brief than mine. Perfect. So honestly, I only really had two yeesh moments. And really, I mean, to be quite honest, because I, I don't, I'm not obviously, um, you know, well knowledgeable of, of Mexican culture. I couldn't really pick things out, so to speak. But uh, really what was interesting was it was actually the stuff that I found yeeshish was outside of the movie itself. So you mentioned it earlier when Disney tried to trademark, uh, you know, the, the, the day of the dead, um, terrible, terrible move on their part. Uh, and also the original storyline. Did you hear about the original storyline for this film by any chance? No. So the original idea was that it would be based on a, uh, Mexican American boy coming from on a vacation to Mexico. Oh yeah, I did hear that. Right, and then he would stumble upon all this these things. So it wouldn't actually be um, someone who you know who was living in Mexico at the time. So it, it would be both this Mexican American boy, um, not only you know c- discovering you know his family, but also Mexican culture as a whole. And then through the process, they felt it would be better to instead you know, of concentrating on this, you know, American side, it'd be better to obviously, you know, focus it primarily in Mexico. So Yeesh avoided, I guess, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's just like, I'm glad it was a, it was obviously a great, great decision on their part. So, all right, your turn. What Yeesh moments came up for you? Okay. There are two really big ones. The first one is like less important than the other one. The first one's actually kind of silly. So in, in Mexico, like, Papa is not that common. Like, you, like it's it's common in, like, other parts of Latin America, but Papi is more common. Hmm. And Padre, but, like, Papa is not that common. It's just not. And so that was a little bit of a, like, that's weird. And I'm sure, like, maybe other Mexicans from different parts of Mexico, like, use it. But I've never heard it use that commonly as they do in the movie also sometimes when they're saying it like with an english language inflection it sounds like the word for potato oh and so the first time i saw the film i'm like why does he keep calling him a potato there's this really funny like meme that i think it was like the pope is visiting like puerto rico or something and the the meme is like oi como es Como se escribe papa en inglés? And, like, the guy writes potato. And then so the sign has, like, this giant picture of the Pope. And it says, welcome, potato. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what it reminds me of. Um, the other one is not Pixar's fault. It is a cultural conversation that Mexican and Mexican-American and all Latinx people have to have. Um, which is the erasure of indigenous people. And anti-blackness. I'm going to start with the anti-blackness first. Mexico didn't indicate the option for black until 2015. Hmm. And so there is no trace of any African 
black Afro-Mexican influence in the film, even though Dia de Muertos is part of today's roots, which is like Spanish, indigenous, and black. And it's not Pixar's fault because they did extensive research and they asked Mexican people and Mexican people left Afro-Mexicans out. Right, right. It's it's, to Pixar's credit, they asked... Be, and, like, if you watch the DVD and, like, the Blu-ray and stuff, you watch the interviews with the people that they worked with, they're all mestizo. And a lot of part of, like, the mestizo identity is, like, it it does downplay indigeneity and stuff. And, like, the only time when you really, even though they're all indigenous, like, 99% of Mexico is indigenous, but getting them to have that conversation is very difficult like there are aztec looking dancers in like one of the parties or whatever Mm. um and then you see like aztec temple ruins like in like the the shamble part of like the barrio or whatever where all the people who don't have like families go to basically die again um that's a very serious thing too and Again, it's not Pixar's fault. It's like, you know, Mexico really prides itself on, like, the mestizo, like, just indigenous enough to have certain features, but, like, also be Spanish and have certain other things, too. Like, and when we talk about, um, when we talk about the music later, I want to talk about, like, Pedro Infante and, like, how Mexico is, like, obsessed with that, like, golden era of, like, light-skinned mestizo more spanishy mexicans because um yeah that's a a huge part of it wow those are my only two is like the potato thing which is silly and like like our our bigger conversation we need to have about like admitting that we're indigenous people absolutely and like the fact that we left out like millions and millions of people so there you go good 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 stuff um Folks, we know that sometimes these movies don't wrap everything up. Sometimes they leave things unanswered, uh, mysteries unsolved. So I call these lingering questions. Now, Melody, I'm going to start with you. Did you have any lingering questions when it came to Coco? I did not. I thought they wrapped it up really nicely. Like, even with the Oliribe, like, being, like, real animals and stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. even that was wrapped up really neatly and nicely. Like, so... I think it it the way that this movie is crafted was absolutely perfect. There were no lingering questions for so me. That's awesome from your perspective. From my non-knowledgeable of Mexican culture <laughs> perspective, <laughs> I had a bunch of questions. But uh, I will just ask you a couple. The first okay. being, um, one thing that's mentioned in this movie is uh, that that second death so to speak. Um, and you, we see one of the characters kind of fade away and things like that. In, in is that something that's in Mexican culture? Was that invented for the film? And I think, and yeah, I think that was invented for the film. <clears throat> oh, okay. Gotcha. I didn't know if that was like, Oh, there's a, you know, a second heaven beyond the land of the dead, so to speak. So um, good to know. Okay. So the other question I had was tell me about the significance of the Abuelita taking off her shoe and threatening to be oh! people's shoes. Oh, the, uh, the the chancla thing yes like, that was actually not part of my upbringing like oh, i was okay. never struck as a kid nothing like that so like i had to learn about that secondhand like as an adult like with like we out of me too and like pedal like and stuff they like make jokes about it even though it's not funny but whatever <laughs> so yeah it's this thing where like 
especially the grandmas, like, if they don't want to just, like, outright hit you with the shoe, I guess they'll, like, throw them at you with, like, like really frightening act, like, you know, dexterity and accuracy. But, yeah, this was not, it was not part of my uh, <laughs> childhood. And it it's, like, Mexican people think it's funny, but, like, mm-hmm. that's another, like, greater conversation we need to have. Like, this is not funny. And, like, sure. man has walked on the moon and we need to just, Although she can hit drunks with her shoe. Like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, the, the, that's fine. She wants to hit barachos and like, you know, that, that's fine. Awesome. Awesome. So those are, those are really the big questions I had about the movie. I mean, I think you're right from, they, they do tie things up really, really nicely. Um, throughout We're going to get film. like a million comments from like barachos on the internet being like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks for throwing us under the bus, so to speak. But, um, all right. Well, another new section, somewhat new folks is I like to come up with some random trivia, some behind the scenes stuff for this film. Cause sometimes you don't get the full story of, you know, basically how this film came to be. So I did a little research and I found some you know interesting nuggets, so to speak about the film itself as they were making it, um, some things that they researched, some things that happened after they released. But the first was that this film contains themes and content which would ordinarily be banned in China. But reportedly, the Chinese censor board members were so touched by the film that they made an exception and allowed it. Incredible. Yes. So, do you know anything about that? About- I do, actually. Awesome. Um, one of the reasons why the... I think it's Shanghai Disney? It's either Shanghai or Hong Kong. They have... um their version of the haunted mansion is mystic manor because the the depictions of ghosts and ancestors. So they have very, very strict rules about the depictions of ghosts and ancestors. But because this movie was so masterfully done, so respectfully and lovingly done, they were like, yes, we will allow this film. Interesting. 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 Yeah, no, that's, um, that is a Disney Hong Kong because I, uh, work colleagues of mine who work in Hong Kong have, have taken pictures in front of it. So, um, interesting. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know, crazy, crazy. All right. The next thing is there. You know, if a lot of people wonder about this, there are real studies showing that how music can help dementia and Alzheimer's patients to remember certain episodes of their lives. Most notably, in the work by British neuroscientist Oliver Sacks. So, when obviously they're they're singing "Remember Me" and she starts to remember her papa, uh, that is an actual thing that happens in real life, which I thought was pretty awesome uh, to showcase that. The third one, which is pretty interesting, um, is that this film was actually in production for several years. It was actually originally pitched and put into production back in 2011. And at the time, a different young actor voiced Miguel. Actually, at the time, the character was named Marco. So, you know, they changed Marco to Miguel. Um, Eventually, that kid hit puberty, so he had to be replaced by the young actor who played Miguel, Anthony Gonzalez. But the original voice actor did actually have a cameo in the film. Um, Yes, he did. Yes, so he is actually the stagehand towards the end when he tells Ernesto to go through the door to the stage that is the original actor for um marco or miguel which i thought yes. was pretty cool and so. i think the original kid too couldn't sing and um anthony gonzalez is a mariachi singer amazing Maybe. yeah that's awesome so, that was that actually that's a good segue actually because folks what we like to do with these movie musicals is really kind of look at four main elements 
that really should be, you know, just amazing for this to truly be a fantastic movie musical. And that, of course, is the singing, the acting, the dancing, and design. So what we like to do is look at these four key areas and really kind of grade them one through ten and give a couple reasons why. So you just mentioned Anthony Gonzalez as a, a mariachi singer, which I had no idea about, which is awesome. Um, so let's talk about the singing, Melody. One through ten, what did you give the singing in this movie? I hate grading things and I hate like like putting anybody down but like all of the singing in this movie is amazing like even um <laughs> Benjamin Bratt he he sings remember me in the beginning and yes. he's in, in in the movies when it when they go back and watch like like Ernesto de la Cruz's like greatest hits that's a different singer but, mm-hmm. like, Benjamin Bratt does do his own singing. And knowing what we know about Ernesto de la Cruz and how he's, like, a fraud, um, it wouldn't surprise me, like, if he, like, had his movies dubs. Like, that's just kind of narcopath he was. Right. So, But, yeah, everybody's singing is amazing in this film. Like, even – and, like, music is so important in Mexican culture. Like, I think music is important in, like, every culture. But, like, Mexicans live and breathe music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think on, on that note, what I loved about the singing, I, I actually gave it a, a 10, to be quite honest with you, because what I felt was even the voices that, you know, might not sound as pretty as you would want or think for a Disney or Pixar film, there was something authentic about those voices. Yeah. It, it, you know, that's what I really loved, uh, especially uh, Mama Amelda's voice. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Ubak, she's amazing. When she sings La amazing. Llorona, like... Mm-hmm. You're like, <gasps> oh. yeah, and she and she doesn't have that like you know you you would assume for a Disney film like you know that sweet you know powerful belting it's it's got it's that kind very of very authentically Mexican though like yes. ah, business yeah she's got it down like loved it loved it and dots. you know Gael Garcia Bernal I mean he's not really known as being a singer so like you know even just hearing him just it just sounded like he was a guy on on a corner of a street just singing playing a guitar which is exactly what that character was so um yeah i just i just love the authenticity about the voices in this film yeah which is very cool so now this is interesting so we usually do dancing in this movie um or in this in this podcast not a lot of dancing but some i mean you know i think there's you definitely see some, but not you don't get these big choreographed you know moments, so to speak. But um, any anything that you you saw in terms of dancing or movement that you're like, hey, I that's that's you know very authentic right there. All of the dancing in the film is really authentic. Like even the beginning when they have that that scene where Ernesto de la Cruz gets like the bell dropped on him, like the women yes. with their big skirts and the Jalisco style dancing. Oh yeah, like that's mm-hmm. so well done. And like even like Hector when he's like doing his little like jig or whatever on stage, that's really accurate. There's other things too, like where I uh, I honestly lost it when uh, the whole Frida Carlo. Um, you know, oh my god! Things. And there's People all these crawling. Movies. And me, and me, and then it will be on fire. <laughs> on fire. <laughs> like, that to me uh, is incredible. My wife actually studied Frida Carlo uh, in school, and, and she thought that was, like, the most, like, she's like, they nailed that one. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that that's that's really well done. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, all right. So how about the acting in this movie? What? How would you feel about the acting, Melody? Oh, my God. 25 out of 10. Everybody's amazing. <laughs> Um, even like, and like all of the, even the extras and stuff, they're all Mexican actors, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of them. Um, 
the guy what Gabriel Iglesias is the like the little clerk guy. He's like, and yet I don't have a nose. And yes. here we are. Like <laughs> he was so funny. I mean, Everything it was so good. It's and, hilarious. Like, John that... almost is like Chicha Don. Like yes, oh yes. What I really liked was I, I didn't know this. Um, this is the first nine-digit budget movie with an all Mexican cast. Yeah. And that's I mean that that to me was that that fact I thought was amazing. Um, and the, I guess you could say the only non-Mexican uh, in the movie was John Ratzenberger. <laughs> who has his usual cameo uh, in all Pixar films, which I'm fine with. I'm, I'm like, you know what? Have, have him in the movie. Have him say one line. It's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the acting in this is absolutely incredible. And um, just every single character, you know, like I said, you know, the authenticity, but you just, it, you're feeling so much in this film and it really comes from the performances of these these actors and just an amazingly and especially anthony gonzalez who's playing miguel i mean he is just he i i went through all the emotions you know (laughs) listening to him and um he just gave what a what a great vocal performance um uh, on that end as well so yeah i'm I'm right there with you i I gave it i didn't go 25 because i just decided to go 10 (laughs) out of 10 but um if i could have gone higher i i certainly would have i would have definitely gone with you on that one finally and this is what i really wanted to get into you with oh go ahead other thing with the acting is sure like one of the best acted scenes for me is when they go into the barrio like on the water where like the souls go to die again and like John Olmos's performance as Chicharron is perfect, but right before that, like Hector whistles, and everybody knows that it's Hector, which is so accurate. Like everybody's got their own patent whistle. I mean, that's how, like, before the age of the internet and before cell phones, what you would do is you would drive around the neighborhood where your friends lived and whistle. And, and like yell names and then like someone would respond and how funny he <laughs> is in that scene like where he's like well you know you're calling your family which you're not actually related to them I'm like oh my god and the fact that like that's when the first like you see it earlier in the film but the first time like you really notice that he's held together by duct tape after he does the whistle and he's like hey capazo like all that other stuff I was like this is like he deserves an Oscar just for this moment amazing <laughs> amazing <laughs> that's fantastic this is why i'm so glad that you're on this podcast um but this is actually another thing i wanted to get into so the design of this film first of all the, the movie's gorgeous it's a gorgeous gorgeous oh film. my god breathtakingly rendered achingly beautiful breathtaking yes. oh my god yes. so the real one of the questions i wanted to ask you was the significance of colors and color yeah. is all over this this movie and it seems you know colors used in very um specific ways obviously the the petals of the what is the 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 flower that's a marigold marigold so the marigold flowers there you go but what is it about some of the colors that you see in this movie that are so significant in mexican culture um well in addition to being busy af Mexican culture is super vibrant and beautiful and we love colors one of the most beautiful things about the designs of the film like when you're in the land of the dead and you see like all the brightly colored houses and stuff and all the houses stacked on top of each other like that that's oh my god not only is that so accurate and so beautiful but like latin people but especially mexican people we have this thing where we love rich beautiful color and color is so you know ubiquitous to our very existence Mm. Like, Wonderful. 
that's why like when you go through like latin neighborhoods like all the houses have all these like crazy colors like the teals and the purples and like the bright oranges and stuff like love it now let me ask you this though like do do like like do reds mean something in mexican culture do blues mean a specific something or is it just as long as it's vibrant and colorful that's all that really matters um I can't speak to the individual colors, but I know that, like, vibrant, beautiful colors and, like, Mexican culture has a lot of reds. A lot of reds. I don't know what they symbolize. I feel like I should, and I don't. (laughs) I just know that, like, a lot of patterns, a lot of bright colors, a lot of rich colors, a lot of rich, beautiful, precious details, like, on the guitars and stuff. Like, if you, like, pause the movie and, like, look at, like, the mariachi suits and stuff like that, like... These are really gorgeously done. Awesome. Like, yeah. But all of Mexican culture is, like, super detail-oriented and, like, a lot of bright. That lot of chuchiria. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about the music in this film. So with these movie musicals, what we like to do is usually, you know, when you're you're adapting uh, something, these movie musicals from the stage, um, sometimes not every song needs the cut. So... We usually do a section called numbers that we needed, but that's not really applicable here because, you know, everything made the cut. So, but let me ask you this, Melody. Any songs that you could do without in this movie? I love all of the music because it is so authentically Mexican, except Mm. for Don't Hate Me, Remember Me. Whoa, that's a hot take. Yeah, because it it doesn't sound Mexican at all. It Mm -hmm. it sounds like, like somebody... Like, and some of the lyrics are kind of cheesy, and I know this terrible, I'm going to get so much flack, but, like, it's, the fact that it's so glaringly not Mexican, mm. it sticks out, to me, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Interestingly enough, it was the only song that was written, wasn't it the only song that was written by non-Mexicans? Yeah, it was the only song written by non-Mexicans, so, like, you know, <laughs> there you when go. you hear the music and you hear, like, the mariachis in the street, and, like, all the other things, like, and, like the other songs, but, like... Like Poco Loco and stuff, like that sounds Mexican. Like, like yeah. when they include like La Llorona and and stuff like that. Like, I hate being this person, but like, Remember Me doesn't sound Mexican at all, uh-huh. and it sounds like it sounds cheesy next to all the other music and stuff and how right. rich and like how authentically Mexican the other mm-hmm. the other ones are. It it does not sound Mexican at all. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I kind of agree with you, honestly. Um, when I first heard Remember Me, it, it just sounded like a very kind of like uneven melody to me. And I was just like, okay, very short song, obviously. Lyrics, okay. And then, you know, hearing the kind of the slower ballad version uh, in the movie, got it. And then during the end credits, they do kind of that, you know, the the remix so to yeah. speak, with Miguel uh, in the uh, singing it, and it just doesn't work. It was like, oh yeah, it doesn't. It's just a, it's a weird song with a with a kind of a you know hippish beat to it. So um, I, I kind of I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, let me ask you this though: what what number are you gonna fast forward to if you had to fast forward to one? Oh no! Gotta, oh, this is gotta so go to one moment. Hard. Yeah. Oh no! Um, I would. Like, I would definitely do two moments. I would do Poco Loco, mm-hmm. and I would do the scene where Hector goes to the barrio and whistles and stuff, because that, and, like, I don't know if we're actually related. Like, that scene is so quintessentially Mexican. 
It's right. like the mission culture before the hipster assholes took over. Like it is so perfectly like it perfectly encapsulates like a Latin neighborhood. So it would be those two if I can nice. pick two. <laughs> okay, I'll let you pick two. That's okay. I- I'm gonna go with Boca Loco uh, because uh, it is my son's favorite song in this movie. Um, <laughs> Love singing it. So anytime, I mean, again, that'll be another connection that I have with this film. That was one of the the first songs that he would really like sing, sing. Um, and, you know, I, he didn't realize that he was singing Spanish, which I thought was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, the, that that's going to be the song that I have a connection to uh, going forward, which I think is is pretty awesome. So, folks, with this these podcasts, we'd like to give out some pretty prestigious awards for our performers here. And what the first is called the Julia Award, which is usually given to who we feel is the best singer in the movie. So I Melody, came up with that. <laughs> You did, thankfully. I did. Because the previous one, which we're not going to talk about, is a little, a little problematic. <laughs> she must not be named. <laughs> um, so let me start with you, Melody. Who gets your Julie Award for Coco? Oh, everybody in this movie is amazing. And like, Everybody. Yeah, but but everybody, you can only give it to I, one. I will give it to Anthony Gonzalez because his Miguel <laughs> is so good and his gritos are so good and like there's a bunch of different styles of mexican singing and a bunch of different styles of mexican music and stuff and the movie does a really really amazing job like somehow touching on everybody but like anthony gonzalez's gritos like he wins because gritos are hard like especially like for male singers and stuff ah like yeah super hard yeah, I mean, he really did did nail that, which I thought was awesome. You know, it's I, I'm actually going to give it to um, uh, Alana. How do you how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Alana Ubak. Ubak. Okay, there Ubach. you go. I, make... I think she. I I I think her last name is Germanic of some kind because I know that oh. she's mixed with something, or like one of her relatives has like a non Latin name. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, no, I just, I just that voice, it, it, it reminded me of listening to, you know, a grandmother singing or something like. It just felt very like, oh gosh, there's, it's very nostalgic in a way, and it's very. Her La Llorona when she sings that is bone chilling because that song is terrifying. Because La Llorona is terrifying. Like every every Latin kid is terrified of La Llorona. I had a really bad run in a couple years ago. Like it's like, she's. She's pretty scary. And that when she sings to him, like on the stairs to get him to listen, that is like, oh, like you fill it down your spine. So really, I back, okay. yeah, I back that up. Well, it's funny because you say that because a movie just came out about La Llorona, which I thought was pretty cool. Did you see that? No, because um, it wasn't made by Mexican people. Oh, and okay. it totally like did not like they didn't understand the responsibility of the subject material and like it was i heard it was bad oh good to know yeah. good to know um, all right final oh no i'm not sorry I'm, I'm skipping ahead here um on the flip side we also have what's called the russell crowe award which is usually given out to the worst singer in the movie but i gotta be honest with you i i, I couldn't really give it to anybody in this movie i couldn't give it to anybody um Although there was that thing with like Ernesto de la Cruz, like probably like having his movies dubbed. And since he's sure. such a scumbag, like I'm just going to give it to like the character Ernesto de la Cruz. <laughs> what a wonderfully great 
scumbag, by the way. Um, um, and the thing is, is that he is supposed to be modeled after Pedro Infante, who is like a big Mexican like singer of the 40s. Like he was part of like the Three Roosters, which was some guy I never remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jorge Negrete, who was like an infinitely better singer. And then Pedro Infante, who is like mediocre at best, but he's like like he's like the like the Elvis of Mexico. Um, oh. So I thought it was very interesting that it looked like Pedro Infante. Actually, the um, the tomb of Pedro Infante was the model for the tomb of Ernesto de la Cruz. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And like, very cool. When they're singing "Remember Me," like in Ernesto de la Cruz's suite, like. You have, um, like, all of these, like, Mexican icons from the 40s, like Dolores Del Rio and, like, Jorge Negrete and all these other ones. And I thought, like, that was, like, an Easter egg that only, like, Mexicans and Mexican-Americans would would get. Very cool. But I I, I do think it was interesting that he looks like Pedro Infante because Pedro Infante was really a very mediocre singer. But, like, he was, like, Elvis, like, in a way because he made all these records and, like, he made all these movies, like movies that look like Ernesto de la Cruz's movies when Jorge Negrete was like exponentially a better singer. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. This is again, this is why I love having you on this podcast. There you go. (laughs) All right. Final award I have to give out is called the Bumlet Award. And this is actually named after character Newsies, who if you've ever seen the movie Newsies, he's the guy spinning on the fan at the end of the King of New York number. And then you really can't take your eyes off of him for the entire movie. He really becomes one of the most memorable characters in the film. So I wanted to name this award uh, for him for a character in the background, supporting member, um, extra chorus member, whatever it may be, um, that just kind of steals the show for you, so to speak. So, Melody, who gets your bumlet award for Coco? There are so many, like, cameos that mm. are so wonderful. And, like, the clerk that's played by, like, Gabriel Iglesias and the corrections officer, which is played by, like, Cheech Marin. And um, I'm trying to think of, like, even in, in like, Miguel's family, like, the, the, the cousin that's, like, wearing the Mexico jersey... Mm-hmm. He's pretty funny, and her, his little like prima, her, his his older cousin or whatever. He's like na 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 at him. She's really great. Um, I really do have to give it up to Abelita, though, like <laughs> because she's like <laughs> like she's so good, and the way that she's written is so good because Abelitas really do like on a dime veer from being like oh Michaelito lindo Angelita like like that kind of stuff if we're like you know you're being coddled and like you're not eating enough or whatever and then they're like veer on you and then like you're like well this is how I die so that was she did such a good job with that so interesting there you go um I'm gonna have to go with oh gosh it's a tough choice I'm gonna go with the Lucha Libre that you see uh, at like at the party, like he's like ready to oh kind of yeah picked up, and he, apparently I gotta look this up, but he he is based on an actual uh, Lucha Libre um, like legend 
and uh, in terms yeah, of the design yeah, yeah. of the mask and things like that. So, um, so it's a, actually it's a tie between him and and Frida Carlos dancers. Those are the, those are my two. My other one is there's a guy at the end when they do the big music number and they're trying to like get Mommy Imelda like while she's singing La Llorona on the big stage and there's that guy that goes to get the elote oh. and he comes back and he's like, oh man, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I we all know that guy. You know what I mean? That guy. I love it. All right. All right. Final question for you, Melody. Yes. Since Disney seems to love doing it these days, should this get a live action remake someday? No. But we know it will. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> a movie like this is just rife uh, for a live action remake. First of all, because there's humans in it. So that's like the big one. Um but uh, I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think Disney should should do a live action remake of this. Please don't. No. It's perfect the way it is. <laughs> it really is like other than like the really minor gripes I have with it. Like it it really is a very perfectly crafted, masterfully done film. Yeah, I'm just I just know that in 2029 or 2039, <laughs> uh, we're gonna get a live action Kogo. It's just. It's gonna happen. So. It's like the Lady Dorito is a film. No one wanted this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, Melody, this was a real pleasure to have you on this podcast. I mean, you you came on. You you delivered the exact like factoids and stories that I wanted to hear um, because it, it's important. I mean, this movie. It what I love the most that it does, especially in America, is it really introduced. Mexican culture to a lot of people, including myself. So to hear more detail, more stories, that was really, really rewarding. So thank you. Thank you. And I also think it's important because like so much we like so much of the United States used to be Mexico. Like mm-hmm. and then like in all these places, these people are being treated like invaders that they don't belong. And it's like one, the vast majority of them are indigenous people and their bloodlines are on both sides of your imaginary border. But also like a lot of these families have been here, like in California, in Arizona, in New Mexico, like since before it was New Mexico. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, and the other thing too is like Tejas is a Spanish word. New Mexico, like even like Colorado is a Spanish word. So good to know. Good yeah. to know. Melody, where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? And do you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug shamelessly on this podcast? Yes, I would. Um, I released my third LP in March. Um, It came out the day that Brigadoon debuted on Broadway in 1947 because I'm that guy. Um, And it's called Make Believe. And we're going to be doing a really fun giveaway. Yes. On on stage, and I'm also going to be doing a uh, a workshop, um, that's going to teach people how to do their own like musical. Oh, the other thing about Make Believe is that it's a covers record of um, musical theater songs. So, mm-hmm. which was terrifying because covers <laughs> records are always really complicated and scary. Um, and I have a new single coming out on the 25th of June, um, called Liar Liar. It's exciting. So for me, it's exciting because like pop music is pop music is very hard. It's it tough. really it really is like because I do film scores and I do like neoclassical music, but like doing a pop song and hitting all the right no, literally hitting all the right notes and like checking off all the little boxes and like it's it's 
it there's an art to it. It's not easy. Like you, there are parameters you have to exist within. And yeah, you know. So love it. And if you want to find me on the internet, um my name that I make music under is Lubefon Music and it can be found at L E B A S F O N D M U S I C. And it's on all social media platforms that you would find people who make music. There you go. And there use you go. social media. So <laughs> I love it. And folks, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network and OnStageBlog.com, where we have over, I think, seven or eight podcasts that are firing out like at different times during the week. So literally almost every single day, there's new content being posted on the Onstage Blog Network, which is absolutely incredible. Um, you can find all these podcasts on Apple Podcasts. I can't say iTunes anymore. So it's Apple Podcasts because uh, Apple is doing away with iTunes soon. So, Which is annoying. Very annoying, um, especially for folks like yourself. There are musical artists and things like that. So crazy. Uh, but you can also find us on Spotify as well as TuneIn. So we are now for oh. Android users. Uh, you can find us on TuneIn. So yeah, very exciting stuff. But oh, my one more, co- my one last comment please, about yes. the language in this film is um, they use a lot of G-rated versions of Mexican slang that I haven't heard in a bajillion years. So like when he's like, you don't really know like Ernesto de la Cruz or whatever, no manches. And I was like, I haven't heard no manches since like third grade because everybody says no mames like even if you're a kid and you shouldn't say it but like you're like i forgot that it's like oh gosh darn to god damn it like you don't really nobody really uses no manches like it's like for squares even though you probably shouldn't use no mames either like it's probably not it's really vulgar i'm not gonna tell you what it means but like all the latin people who are listening and all the mexicans who are listening are rolling on the floor right now (laughs) love it Love it. Well, Melody, thanks again for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, we'll see you right here next week on the movie Musical Shakedown. Have a good one.